If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are now tuned in to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk about all things related to life lessons, mental health, and the culture. I'm your host, Dr. Shonda. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and I am here with a panel of three beautiful women making strides specifically in Women's History Month. Y'all, I cannot wait to get into this conversation because we were talking backstage, and I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm very. Excited. I, don't know, I don't. I don't. I don't feel qualified to be with this group of women. But we oh, please! <laughs> Listen, all of y'all have like such dynamic backgrounds and bios. So if we can start with just some introductions into who you are and what you do, um, and we can start with Dr. Janice since she's at the top of my screen. <laughs> Well, thank you both for having us on. I'm so excited about this conversation. Uh, My name is Janice. I am a, I would say a connoisseur of, of, or I'm a Jane of all trades. Um, I work with organizations and institutions to help them identify barriers that prevent the most marginalized employees from advancing. And I help those same workplaces remove those barriers. So a lot of the work that I do is around anti-racism education and helping workplaces figure out like, what are the ways that our systems perpetuate bias and how do we fix our systems? So a lot of the work that I do is also a lot of writing. So writing is definitely my first love. And the writing that I do is around the same topic of anti-racism and creating better workplaces. And I am a, what, what else? I am a podcast host as well. And I think that's a, a good like background about me and, and some of the work that I do. Nice. You didn't tell me you had a podcast. We were talking about podcasts backstage. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I like, I always forget like little bits and pieces of, and people always say, oh, you should mention this. And yeah. So I have a podcast, 30 diversity, where I talk about just a lot of the stuff that I write about and just some of the things that I see when I work with companies and just sort of these, like, I, I guess like unmentionables for those of us who engage in any sort of equity work, like some of the things that come up when we're um, doing this work. So that is a little bit about me. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Janice. Miss um, Essay, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes. So born and raised in Kansas City, go Chiefs. Um, <laughs> double HBCU grad, played volleyball for Hampton University, graduated from Florida a University College of Law. So I am HBCU to the day I die. Um, spent seven NFL seasons as a lawyer between the NFL League office and the Carolina Panthers. Um, started the Black Employee Resource Group there at the NFL. They had never had one before called the Black Engagement Network. Um, also founded the Black Employee Resource Group Collective, the Black ERG Collective in New York, which is a conglomerate of Black ERGs across blue, blue chip organizations. Um, and then I got bored and I went to go run a startup, House of Athlete, and we created the I Am Athlete podcast. 
Um, we have fitness facilities where athletes were training, apparel, nutrition, everything. So was president of that company for almost two years. And then I pivoted you know again. He just casually says, I was president of a company. He's <laughs> like, and then, you know. So, you know, they're all different experiences. Um, and then I uh, recently moved to L.A. I really wanted to work in TV and film. And so now I'm a lawyer for TV Plus, Apple TV Plus. So um, I get to work on marketing and publicity around all of our shows from the legal perspective. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just somebody who's rooting for everybody Black and um, in particular Black women. Um, and I'm excited to be here and have this conversation. Yes, me too. Just hearing like Dr. Janice's background and Essay's background, I'm just like bubbling over with just joy and emotion, seeing Black women just like winning like this. Like, am I the only one experiencing this? No, I always love being in community with Black women. It, it's yeah. always very nourishing. It <laughs> oh is, God. but it's also expected because what else would we be besides excellent? Period. Exactly. It's, listen, it's in our blood. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say that. <laughs> All right. So last but not least, may I hear from Miss Chanel Reynolds, who also happens to look like me because she's my twin. Y'all, funny story. Somebody on TikTok tagged me in one of her videos and was like, hey, did anybody ever tell you you look like Shonda? I'm like, who? who no, they say you favor at paging Dr. Shonda. <laughs> Who's going to tell them? Who's tell them? Right, right. I love that. That's hilarious. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Chanel Reynolds, and I oversee all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts for the Washington Commanders, um, which is an NFL team. Um, I also, I've been in, I'm an HBCU graduate. Um, I've been in the sport and entertainment industry over the past eight or so years. Um, while at the Commanders, I did start their first Black employee resource group. Um, shout out to SA, because I was calling her, just trying to get the inside. She was prepping me, like, yeah, make sure you say this and this. It was like, but I just want to acknowledge that because it was no gatekeeping. It was like, sis, I got you. I got your back while you go in to pitch this thing. Um, so that was amazing. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I do. I'm also a um, author. I'm a speaker, and I also have a um, podcast of my own, the Success Playbook Podcast. Hello. <sighs> Listen, no, ladies. <laughs> yes, it's like so much of a situation happening right now. And I'm so excited to get into this conversation. Um, you ladies are like the first in your fields, right? The first person to do DEI at the commanders, the first person to do XYZ. I'm wondering like what has that been like kind of overcoming those challenges of being uh, the first black woman in your field to overcome some of the obstacles that you had? Oh, I mean, for me, it was tough, right? So when I started the Black uh, the black Engagement Network at the NFL, it was really in response to Philando Castile and Alton Sterling being killed. And we just were worn out, right? Like you could not turn on the television or open up Instagram without seeing Black bodies on the, on, you know, on, on the, the screen. And we didn't have a place to go. Like we had to come to work and like act like nothing was happening. And of course, no one was talking about it at work. And so we started, you know, Ben, and then Trump is running for president. And that was a crazy time because he's saying all types of, you know, problematic things. Um, and then we have 
Colin Kaepernick kneeling. And so all this happened like in our first year. And so I really was thrown into the deep end because now I instantly became the black, the, the voice of the black people um, while I'm fighting my own career battles. And so um, super rewarding. And I would do it because I felt like I had to do it for the people that didn't have my platform or my education or my proximity to leadership. But it wore me out. Like, I was burnt out. Like, by the time I got to the Panthers, I had a little bit left in the tank. I started the Black ERG there. But it it's essentially you have two jobs, you know? And one is what you're getting paid for. And you're underpaid for that one. Um, but for me, it was rewarding. And I love seeing the legacy that I left at the NFL. Um, but it, it took its toll on me because you, you can become – resentful for just having a fight for everything that you think we should have had in the first place. Hmm. That's so real. I love the transparency in that acknowledging the emotion that comes with fighting this and also like, yeah, mm-hmm. resentment can come up mm-hmm. like while, as I'm, you know, going on with this fight. So I, I love that transparency there. Yeah. For me, I would say I'm not the first uh, to do this work, I think the ancestors and the, those who came before me have laid the groundwork. And even, you know, I think each of us in different ways have done or engage in DEI work um, or equity work of any kind. But I know that when I started my consultancy uh, in five years ago, almost, it was difficult because I didn't see any other Black women that were doing DEI consulting. Most of my friends work in corporate spaces or are consultants, right, for large companies. So I didn't have anyone that I could really look to and say, this is something I've always wanted to do. How do I go about doing this or or that? So it was a lot to, to sort of navigate. And I felt like I had to mimic the people that were already doing this work that were not black, right? It was mostly white people that I would see in these spaces. And so I was like, oh, I have to be like this. I have to. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. You know, model my business like theirs. And at some point, probably... After the murder of George Floyd, I was really like interrogating the way that I do this work. And I was realizing that I did not actually have the right focus in how I approached this work as I was trying to mimic the white people I saw doing this work. And I was also trying to center whiteness in the way that I was doing the work. So I think that I had a realization myself in 2020 about my approach to this work and I'm glad that I now find myself in community with so many folk, Black folks specifically who do this work. And I think that that keeps me accountable. And I think that keeps me honest. So I would say it was a challenge when I first started out because I felt like I had to be like all these other people. Right. Wow. And I'll say for me, um, before I stepped into diversity and inclusion, I came from the sales and revenue generation side of sports. Um, so when I left, I was like, oh, yes, like, cool. It's no more pressure over there on the sales side. Like, I don't have to be up late at night. Um, 
I get to DE&I land and it's like, wow, this is a little bit harder <laughs> than sales because each and every day you go in with the mindset like, yo, I got to fight the power. I got to fight the powers that be um, every time that I walk in the door. And um, for me, it was just a matter of like, I had to make sure that I created the right boundaries um, and then also like finding that community, right? Finding people who that who I can, um, you know, not necessarily dump on, but like I can just express, you know, maybe what I'm going through or what I'm physically feeling or even um, speak to people who have paved the way prior to me. Um, because, yes, being the first for this organization, it can come with its challenges, but that's why I tap into, you know, my surrounding network and those that support me. So, yeah. It sounds like I'm hearing like a common theme, a common thread here, like making sure that we're relying on the support of the people around us and even the support of like, you know, the, the elders who who came before us. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, the, this work that y'all are doing and I invited y'all all here for a reason. We all do like very similar work in that anti-racism space. Um, but doing this work is exhausting. Right. It comes with such a, a emotional burden. Um, and so it can be very difficult. That's why like leaning on our brothers and sisters is so important when when attempting to do this. Um, Dr. Janice, if I can kind of like uh, hone in on you a bit. I know you have a, a very unique background in that you started as a professor, um, but you ended up leaving and going into, um, you know, consulting. So I'm wondering what, what that journey was like for you. What led you to that? Yeah, um, I I know we were having conversation pre uh, the start of this, but it's actually been a really fulfilling journey for me because I always knew I wanted to do equity work. Like in 2011, I started a YouTube channel and I was talking about racism and my experiences as a Black woman just navigating the world right, and what I went through. And it seemed to re resonate with a lot of people. And I felt like, and I'm sure all of us have felt like this in, in different ways, Black women are often hyper-scrutinized and over-questioned. And I felt like I couldn't just stop at a bachelor's degree. I felt like I had to keep going because I wouldn't be taken seriously, right? So even if I started my consultancy and I have the knowledge and I have lived experiences I felt like people would still sort of question me. So I felt like I need a master's. When I got the master's, I was like, I have to get a PhD because people will take me seriously. And in hindsight, I, I realized now I could have started the consultancy when, whenever I felt like it. Like, I don't think you need any sort of paper to say you can do this or you can't do this as long as the passion and the desire to do the work is there. And, you know, I've always felt like I was a, educator at heart. Both of my parents are educators. Um, and I know that I think both of you went to, I feel like SA and Chanel both mentioned they went to FAMU, right? I went to Delaware State. Oh, Delaware State. Okay. Um, so, oh, FAMU. Okay. So my dad has taught at a number of different HBCUs. So um, he's, you know, Virginia State, uh, Florida A&M and all of the all of the places. And so both of my parents are educators. And I always knew that I was an educator too at heart. And I felt like my place was in the classroom. And I'm actually really glad that I, I quit last, uh, last July, 2022, I quit because I'm seeing what's happening now and how it seems like there are a lot of topics. I would teach courses in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And just seeing now what's happening, I feel like my 
whole curriculum would have been attacked and I wouldn't have necessarily been able to teach the things that I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I have this consultancy that I started after I graduated and I should pour into it 100%. And in doing that, I think I learned a powerful lesson of just trusting the direction that God is guiding me into. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of opportunities since I've left academia that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was still like teaching. And so I think it's so important that like, if we feel like we're being led in a particular direction to just trust, even if we don't understand it, right? Because I was like, why would I leave a steady, you know, six figure teaching job when I could, you know, just try to juggle both, but it was just, it was just too much. And I'm glad that I left when I did. Um, but now I'm able to really give a hundred percent to the work that I do. Cause I feel like, how am I trying to help people escape horrible workplaces and better their experiences when I'm not doing the same myself and I'm stuck in an environment that is not helping me to advance. And so I felt like I was also living a lie in, in certain ways is that I was like holding on to something that I knew was not good for me. So that has sort of been like my journey and my trajectory. But I know that there's m many of us can relate and have similar sorts of journeys. Yeah, it, it sounds like you're saying like you had to pretty much practice what you were preaching, <laughs> like you had to model that um, to people. You also mentioned like, you know, being a black woman, I felt like I had to continue to pursue education. Otherwise, people would continue to like, you know, scrutinize me or question my education. Um, did we all live like the same lives? I feel like I went through the same thing. <laughs> and even yeah. with the people like come at you. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, in hindsight, I'm like, I did not need to get into six figure student loan debt. <laughs> but like, you know, knowledge is power to get to, you know, have, have an education. But I, in hindsight, realized I didn't need to do all those things. And I know we've all felt like we had to be twice as good. For sure. For sure. And it's exhausting at times. Yeah. Um, Essay, can you tell us a bit more about what led into your work of developing uh, the, the Black Employee Network Group for the NFL? Yeah. So like I said, you know, there have been like a string of these police shootings of unarmed Black men. And, you know, we would find ourselves like, hey, girl, I need to I need to take a walk. Like, can you walk outside with me? you know, or meeting at the water cooler, if you will, right? Or in the in the huddle, which is our cafeteria, you know, and it's like, I'm not okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm angry. Nobody in my group is talking about what's going on. Um, and so I'm seeing all this. People are reaching out to me and I'm seeing everybody and like, nobody was okay. But we didn't have a space at the time to talk about what was going on in the world that we couldn't forget when we walked into, you know, our jobs. And we also didn't know like where the NFL stood on these issues. And like, we weren't hearing from the NFL and the commissioner. And so, you know, a few of us got together and I kind of let the charge on like, we need to create our own space. I'm like, why don't we have a space where it can be just us and we can talk about these issues and we can speak freely. Cause a lot of us were angry at the time. Right. And we needed a space to, how do we say we're angry? How do we voice our concerns about where this country is headed um, and do it in the workplace? Because we spend a lot of time at work and, you know, we can't forget who we are just because we're at work. Um, and then I just started researching like, you know, 
really the NFL was my first job out of law school. So I, I didn't have a lot of experience working in big corporate or what other companies did. So I started researching like, what does NBC do? Like, you know, my friend was working at Pepsi at the time. Like, hey, like, can you send me over like what groups you guys have? So I just literally started compiling because when I started asking leadership about it, they were like, oh, well, you know, maybe we can do something for all minorities and do we have to do for black. And so then I started like, I just tapped into my lawyer mode where I'm like, oh, let me prove my case as to why everything I'm asking for is not new or revolutionary. It's shit that like companies have been doing for 20 years. And mm -hmm. I strategically picked all of NFL's parts. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I was like, NBC, CBS, PepsiCo, you know, ESPN, like companies like Facebook, Twitter, like companies that the NFL has relationships with. And that also like they they see as peers, right? I'm not going to pick some rinky-dink company where they're going to be like, oh, well, we don't need to do what they do. I'm going to pick people that are on your level. And then my friends at the NBA were starting Dream and Color at the same time, which is their black ERG. So mm -hmm. sometimes you have to just fill a need. And I did it not just for other people, but I needed the space too. Like I needed a space where I can go and talk to people that have this unique experience of being black, but also working in the NFL and how those things work together and how the NFL is dealing with things. Like nobody else is going to understand that unless you work in it. Um, and so I did it just as much for myself as I did for the people that were going to come after me. Like I wanted them to come to an NFL that was better for them and more safe for them and more accessible to their community. Um, and that's what led to it. And, you know, it's still going strong and it played a vital role during um, George Floyd. Um, I had left at the time, but it was great to kind of just see how that group was able to show up for people during one of the most difficult times that I felt like we faced in recent, you know, history. I think what you're doing or what you did for the NFL is so um, pivotal because what we found is that during the pandemic, when, um, you know, George Floyd was was um, was killed, a lot of people started black employee networks. People had these initiatives for black people. People started DEI positions, but where are they at now? Like, we're, like we're, the emotion is gone. Y'all not feeling as intense about this, but now like these, that means the positions are gone. We're no longer having as many black employee resource groups. But it sounds like what you implemented for the NFL is continuing to grow strong, um, which is where, you know, Chanel comes in because she currently is over the the black employee network for, or DEI for specifically the commanders. Um, so based on essays work, um, Chanel, I'm wondering if you can kind of like speak more to like what you're you're doing for the commanders. Yeah. Um, so in the DEI realm of the commanders, um, all of the ERGs fall under me. So um, I founded um, through the guidance of SA and through the support of some of my other peers of the commanders, um, the Black Engagement Network, um, which then inspired our women's ERG. So now there's a women's initiative network and a couple or one year later that inspired our commander's pride network. And then that inspired our Somos commanders, which is our Hispanic um, ERG. So right now uh, we are one of few teams that has um, four ERGs um, and they all roll up under DEI. Um, I also oversee the facilitation of DEI trainings. So we make sure that we have consistent trainings throughout the year. Um, 
also just other programs and events uh, throughout the year, such as some of our heritage observances or history observances um, and any and everything you can you can think of in between. But yes, um, the role did come about like probably most of the other NFL and NBA DEI roles. Um, it came about after George Floyd. Um, and I will say that in this industry, you're, you're noticing that, you know, more and more teams are having a dedicated person to run diversity, equity and inclusion. And I know that um, the sentiment, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, is it performative? Like, look, I don't care how y'all get me there. Just look, oh, call me performative, but I'm doing the work. I'm in this position and, and I'm, I'm here to do the work. So, um, yeah, yeah. We've been on full full steam for the past few years. Yeah. What what are some of the the things that you were able to accomplish with the the um your position? It's a lot. Um so I just mentioned that we went from one to four ERGs. Um through that though, I'm I'm most proud of our ERG program because employee resource groups is what retains, you know, some of the best talent and your diverse talent. Um, so through this program, I'm able to pour into them. They pour into each other and they're more likely to stay at the company. Right. So automatically when you have ERGs, retention rates are higher. Right. You start to recruit some of the um, talent externally because they see all the amazing things that you're doing internally. You know, our LinkedIn posts and they want to work uh, for the commanders. Um, so I'll say that one of the, the most uh, one of my proudest moments or the one of my proudest accomplishments with the commanders is um, develop, developing that strong ERG program. Yeah, I love that. She's being so humble right now. I thought you were going to go into the HBCU event that y'all. That well, that's one small avenue, but okay, yeah. So we did <laughs> an HBCU symposium in which we invited um, several HBCUs locally. Uh, we sourced candidates to come out and they came, learned about sales. Um, they heard from leadership in the team and uh, we hired some of them through that program. So um, awesome. programs like that, thank you. Programs, what else am I missing? Yeah, I don't know. You do a lot. Yeah, I just be saying- She's about to throw you the alley and you ain't even catch it. <laughs> He's like, what else have you done? She's she trying to be humble. She didn't want to brag. <laughs> but that's black women, right? Like black women. And I think on one hand, we don't like to give ourselves credit. But I understand that because a lot of times when we do give ourselves credit, we're called cocky. We're, yes. you know, we're, we're punished for it. Right. And so it's like, I, one thing I appreciate about Chanel um, you know, she toots her own horn and one, because you have to, because nobody is waiting to promote you. Nobody is waiting to see how great you are. Like, you know what? I'm losing sleep. We need to promote Chanel. We need to give Chanel her. Nobody's doing that. So you have to do it yourself. And like, I think a lot of people used to feel a certain type of way about me. Like, no, I'm going to get my credit because nobody's going to give my credit. Everything I did, I didn't reap any of the benefits of the work that I did. People are reaping those benefits now, like five years later. Um, mm -hmm. When I was fighting for people to be promoted, I was not being promoted, right? I was underpaid when I'm fighting the good fight for other people. And so it's just another example of like, we don't do a good job of promoting ourselves. I think Chanel is one of the best at it. Um, and I love that. Like, I love how she owns her success. And I try to do the same because the girls that are coming after us, they need to see that we can thrive in these spaces. But I also show the bad moments and I talk about the down moments and I talk about processing those things. 
But I think, Chanel, like you do a great job of telling your story because not only is it going to help you further your career, it's also going to let other black women that look like you, that come from where you come from, that went to Dell State say, oh, shit, like I can work at the commanders and not just work there. Like I can thrive because I see someone that looks like me thriving in that space. So we have to tell our own stories because nobody's going to do it for mm -hmm. us. Nobody's waiting to give us our credit. That's yeah, me giving essay, you flowers. That, um, what you said was so true because I, I know I, I just read a study about how when Black employees specifically self-promote, they're penalized for it in the workplace, right? And But when you go to career coaches, they're like, talk about your all of your accomplishments. And, and they looked at Black employees, white employees, uh, Latine employees, Asian employees, and they found that specifically for Black employees, when we self-promote in the workplace, we're perceived less favorably for it. So I think that that's also an important reason why, particularly on social media, I think it's important to like toot our own horns and to do what Chanel is doing and talk about the things that you've accomplished. You have to. Yeah. And even on, um, I would say on social media, like I, I think we see the remnants of uh, how the, the study that you, you indicated that people are looked at as unfavorable. Um, I find that especially when there are Black people, Black women who are confident in themselves, their accomplishments and their achievements, then you always going to get somebody in the comments who try and humble you. Like, <laughs> so how do we continue to show up authentically while also like, you know, promoting ourselves and promoting uh, who we are and being proud of that mm -hmm. without, you know, being weighed down by what society tells us that we, we shouldn't be talking about this. You're, you're too arrogant. You're, you know, how do we do that? I just keep doing it because I, I feel like nobody's going to know what I'm doing if I'm like afraid to say, oh, I just did this. Oh, I just did that. And for me, I, I, I feel like I've been on on social media for so long that even being on YouTube, you're always going to get the trolls and people who say things about you. So I think I've grown thick skin because of it. And I'm like, oh, you know, there's always going to be like somebody saying something. But for the most part, I think if you anytime we promote ourselves or talk about the things that we're doing that we're happy about and proud of, we have our community of folks who are cheering us on. And so I think it's important to focus on those people. And like you said, like Essay, I believe, said, seeing that will help the people who come after mm -hmm. us, right? And so we're not necessarily doing this right now for our the folks who are watching us now, but somebody's watching us and seeing mm -hmm. the things that we're doing and is inspired by that. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. So I just don't even like respond. Like I have a rule where I usually don't go back and forth on social media with trolls because I feel like people do things to get a reaction out of mm -hmm. us. So I just, you know, it has to be a really compelling case for me to go back and forth. But I think I just, it's important to when you can just try to tune it out because People yeah. aren't going to know what you're doing unless you share it with them. And I think people, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, are happy for you and excited to see somebody in their network doing these things. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm taking your advice. Sometimes some trolls be getting me. I, I try to. You I be going right back. I, I like to go back and forth every now and then. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little, yeah. You got to, you know, a little, a little, check a little going bit. a little low. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I go lower. Right. 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 And then just go back and delete it later. Just want to make sure you yeah. stop. Right. Oh, and I block, I block everybody. So, like, the block tool is easily one of the best things like just i'm just gonna block you like right. love it i'm it's fine valid. with like healthy dis discourse but if you're just coming like disrespectful like oh like i'm gonna pop off and then i'm gonna block you and then you'll never right. address my me again exactly. <laughs> i love that so i'm wondering so as we're talking about like the need for us to continue to show our accomplishments so that more uh, especially black women are more inspired I'm wondering in the spaces that you ladies are functioning in, how are you pretty much like, you know, as we, I don't, what the saying is like when you, as we reach forward, we reach back is mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. So, so how do y'all kind of like function in that area? Cause the concept of gatekeeping came up earlier in the conversation. So how do we ensure we're not um, engaging in that? I mean, for me, Anybody that reaches out for the most part, you know, I'm going to try to like make time, especially, you know, young women of color, black women that either want to know more about working in sports, want to be a lawyer. Um, so many people made time for me. Um, and I think, you know, I may not be able to be everybody's like day to day mentor, but if I can give you 15, 30 minutes of my time, tell you my story um connect you with people give you you know advice here and there i'm gonna do it because you never know the impact that that can have on mm -hmm. people and i'm a big believer of if you can see it you can be it um and i want as many people to see me as possible because i want people to see a black woman lawyer who didn't change who she was who didn't change how she talked because a lot of times we get into these roles and we and we think we have to disappear to get ahead and it's like if I just keep my head down and do my good good work, somebody's gonna like think of me and push me ahead. And that's just not how the world works. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, one just I try to be visible, and that's a part of me giving back. I try to tell my story, um, but also you know make time. You know, like even if it's fifteen minutes, thirty minutes. Um, but you also have to continue to grow your career because with power mm -hmm. comes influence, and so I think don't take your eye off of the ball because a lot of times we want to change things and we get so caught up in doing the work that we don't continue to get power. And one of the best pieces of advice I got, you know, I was doing all this work at the NFL and I was just like, just, I was just walking around like I was Malcolm X. And one of my mentors was like, you know, powerful white man, uh, EVP was like, you're trying to be the diversity girl but the diversity girl has to get their budget approved by an executive that oversees revenue. So you just need to get into a position of power and you can do that from a diversity standpoint, but the key is to be in a position of power mm -hmm. because you can't make change if you don't have power. Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me where I was like, Oh, I don't need to be the diversity person to make change. And if I want to be the diversity person, I need to get in a position of power. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times, women, especially black women, get stuck doing the work and we're not moving our careers ahead. And so we're still having to get approval and buy-in from the people that have passed us on the ladder. And so I like to encourage people to get into position of power because you can always fight the fight, no matter if you work in diversity, sales, 
you know, HR, whatever, but you have to be in a position of power. So it's, you have to give and take, make time and be a woman of the people, but you need to make sure that your career is on track. And a lot of times we fight harder for other people than we fight for ourselves. And some of the fight is just take care of Chanel, like take mm -hmm. care of, you know, Dr. Janice, like take care of yourself. Cause once you, the more you ascend, the more you can help people, you know? Well, you preaching to me right now. <laughs> I think as SA brought up so many, so many good points about I I wish I was able to have the capacity to like mentor everyone who reaches out to mentor. But for me, I try to answer as many questions as I can. I am a firm, like staunch believer in not gatekeeping. One of my close friends, Kina, always says that the earth is round, right? And we don't have to compete for resources. Mm -hmm. And so I try to adopt that mindset of like, I'm not in competition with anyone else. Mm -hmm. I know that to create a world that is better, everyone needs to be doing this work. And so I actually want to imagine a world where this work becomes obsolete and we don't have to be you know, many of us would not, if if the world was in a better place, would not be like actively wanting to engage in this work, right? I would rather be sitting under a tree writing, but, you know, I feel like I want somebody to advocate for me if I were in these workplaces. So I want to be that person. But I think it's important to understand that we're not in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. And so I'm completely fine with like sharing resources and telling people, people will reach out to me and say, how, like, what do you charge? What are your prices? What do you, and I'm not like gatekeepy with that. I don't like to be like, oh, well, you have to figure it out. Like, no, I'll tell you everything and I'll help you as much as I can because I feel like this work is so important. But I also feel like it's important to develop an abundance mindset and understand that, like, there's an abundant amount of resources available. And so as far as like all these companies and organizations need the, this work. So mm -hmm. I, as one individual, cannot help yeah. every single workplace. So what good does it serve me to not tell people things and hide my prices and do all that? I believe firmly in price transparency, right? And telling people, this is how much I charge for a workshop because more than likely when I share my rates, that's what I've learned oh, I'm undercharging myself or under, excuse me, valuing my services. So I, I think that it's so important to be that person that you wish that you had. Mm -hmm. And also I'm a tiny little bit petty. And I remember all the people I asked for to help me along the way who did not help me. And I know that many of them have been like, looked back and been like, that was one person I wish I would have held my Dang. hand out to. Yeah. So the petty in me also says, you know, I, I know there's a saying, um, watch who you step on on your way up. But like those same people might be the same people you see on your way down. And I'm not saying be nice to people because of what you think you can gain from it. But you never know what helping someone will do for them and how that will impact their life. And also, you know, I don't want to be that person that was just right. shut the door on somebody. So yeah. that's, you know, the petty of me says that. But I also think like, you know, we all need to be doing this work and the world is round enough to where 
there is an abundance of whatever it is that we need and I don't need to be competing with other people. So I think not gatekeeping is such an important part of that. I love that. Um, I know for me, I agree with both ladies. Um, anybody who reaches out to me on LinkedIn, I try to make time for like it, it, it doesn't matter like how many people I'm going to try to find the time. And it's usually a lot of inquiries. So um, I've started to streamline that process and I made like a Calendly link where it allows them to uh, lock in 15 minutes, a 15 minute time slot so we can you know get to know each other. Um, but to that point, yes, I, I consider it a priority to like, you know, as I'm pulling myself up, as SA is saying, as I'm gaining that influence in the corporate world, in the sport world, like I'm keeping that one hand behind me, making sure I'm pulling pulling people behind me. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, for me, mentorship is important because like there were so many people that has poured into me along the way. Like, who am I to, to tell somebody no? Who am I to like? get too big headed where, you know, I don't make time for them. Um, what else? I also offer free resources to, you know, individuals who would like to be in sport and entertainment. So I have a newsletter that I do like where I give them advice. If I can't talk to you, you can, you know, subscribe to my newsletter where you're getting advice. And um, it also lists open positions and all that good stuff. So I try to make myself available in various different ways. That's dope. Now y'all got me. You don't know where people are going to end up. You know, that is that is key. Like a lot of people, you know, slept on me. Like I took an internship after law school and I was way behind a lot of my friends and peers and I did an unconventional route. And then, you know, fast forward and I'm ahead of most of my peers. And so you never know where people are going to end up. And there's people who I'm sure didn't think I was going to be where I'm at. And then there's people that I've seen and I'm like, damn, I'm glad I was nice to them because when I met them, they were an intern or they were a seasonal in a seasonal position. And like, they've just moved up. Like even like Chanel, when she reached out, I could have been like, ah, like, no, figure it out. Right. And like you were working in sales at the time and now you're leading DNI for the team. That wasn't your position when I met you. Right. And so that is something important to keep up. This is a relationship business. Mm -hmm. And so you never know where people are going to end up and where you meet them is not, you know, where the, where necessarily where they end up. And so I think karma is also important too. Like to Dr. Jensen's point, there's a lot of people who ignored me and then they have to take meetings with me because I was drafted in there, yes. you know, in a few years. And so it's like, oh, are you, S yeah, I'm asking, I'm the one. Yeah. I hit you up when I was in law school, you never responded. Or when I was an intern, you know, you never made time for me, but good to see you. Like, what do you need in your agreement? You know? And so those moments are forever, you know, fulfilling for me, but it's just a lesson. And the best, some of the other best advice I got was treat everybody with the same level of respect, whether they're the janitor, whether they are the secretary, because again, you never know where people are going to end up and who has relationships with people. And so that little person that's reaching out to you, you don't know where they're going to, you know, end up. They could be, you know, working with you one day and they could have a relationship that you don't have. They could have access to something that you don't have. And you don't know that when they reach out. So even if you only have 15 minutes, one, just be kind to everyone, but also try to make the time because you never know how it can pay off in the end. You ladies are spitting so many facts right now. 
Um, y'all got me ready to go through my DM. Like, did I miss anybody? Do the same thing. Man, but we can't get to everybody. And that's the thing. I feel like yeah. as long as your heart is in the right place, it's just impossible yeah. to get to yeah. every to every part. There's there's kids that I meet and they're like, I oh I emailed you a year ago, but I make time for them yeah. when I see them then. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, and so you can still it can come back around, but it's hard. Especially with social media, because it is, it is. Right? The like, DMs give me so much anxiety oh because I'm like, that's how I missed our our message. Because for me, I'm sure SA, you have the same issue where I feel like people can be extractive sometimes, and they reach out for things, and so that to me is like a lot where everyone is asking for something, and I understand that we all need help, but it's also like I can't help a million people, so. It's sometimes I just don't see things in the DMs or I miss them. So it's hard and I can't like have an autoresponder that's a sorry I missed your DM. You know, so I think I hope people don't take it personally, but I know sometimes they do. They're like, oh, I messaged you. And you could also be going through something. Like, we we, we go through so much. Like, my mom passed in 2020. I was not a great mentor. I was not a great friend. Like, I wasn't a great anything, you know, for that time period. And so, but I also wanted to share that because there might have been people that didn't reach, that didn't hear from me. And so, like, a lot of times we're fighting our own battles, whether we're trying to get promoted, whether we're trying to, you know, get a new job or figure out our life or figure out our personal life. And I think a lot of people don't take that into account because we're we're everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to give yourself grace. Like, you might go through a year where you're just not a great friend or mentor and that's fine. You know, like we're so hard on ourselves for not being everything to everybody. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm giving everyone permission to take time. Yeah. Right now I'm hearing this conversation going into grace and <laughs> allowing ourselves to show grace to ourselves when we feel like, you know, we don't have the capacity to to reach out to, to everyone. So um, I love that. And I'm going to take that advice for myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Yes. Would you ladies mind um, letting us know where we can find you and anything that you guys have coming up? Chanel got something coming up. What you got coming up? <laughs> um, who do I have? Well, y'all can find me on um, all social media platforms at Chanel S. Reynolds and um, www.chanelsreynolds.com. Where to find me? Y'all, your girl is going to the motherland next week. So I'll be in Africa. Um, really excited. Ooh, where are you going, Ghana? Um, Johannesburg and Botswana. Oh, beautiful! So really excited. Then I'll be there with Dr. Shonda. Hey, <laughs> y'all about to do a whole photo shoot? I already know it. Yeah, I'll watch. it. <laughs> you know who we are. I'm here know. for it. I'm here. Well, for me, you could find me on I'm on LinkedIn the most. So it's Janice Gassam. Sorry. On LinkedIn, I have a new book coming out, Decentering Whiteness in the Workplace. It's coming out in October. So if you find me on social media, you'll be able to find it. Pre-order the book. Your support means the world to me. So um, thank you, ladies, for having us. And you can find me on Instagram at unapologetically underscore essay, spelled E-S-E. LinkedIn. I have a podcast coming out soon, much anticipated. Um, but yeah, so I have some projects coming out, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a good year for me. Um, I'm back on my shit. 
I love it. I love it. First of all, like, the, like y'all were powerhouses. I'm so happy that y'all um, accepted the invitation here. It is definitely a pleasure to host y'all. Um, yeah, so y'all know y'all can come back whenever. Open invite all day. Like, just let me know. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And for the listeners, yes, of course. And for the listeners out there, you guys can catch every episode, the audio version on Wednesdays and the video version on Thursdays. And don't forget, you have the power to create the emotions that you want to experience. God bless. See y'all next week. Bye. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.